0: This is 365 Tech by Suites. Today we are on episode 10 of our 12 part exploration through Kevin Kelly's book, The Inevitable Understanding the 12 Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future. Yesterday we talked about interacting, today we're on to tracking. Let's get to it. Until recently, it took an especially dedicated person to find a way to measure themselves without fooling themselves. But in the last few years, extremely tiny digital sensors that cost a few pennies have made recording parameters so easy just the click of a button, and the varieties of parameters so vast that almost anyone can now measure a thousand different aspects of themselves. People measure everything from diet, fitness, sleep patterns, moods, blood factors, genes, location, and so on in quantifiable units. And while there are a few individuals that stand out for their extreme habits, what seems extreme today will soon become the new normal. We're now at the point with sensors that we can honestly say that anything that can be tracked is being tracked by someone, somewhere. Shrinking chips, stronger batteries, and cloud connectivity has encouraged some self-trackers to attempt very long-term tracking, particularly of your health. Most people are lucky to see a doctor once a year. Imagine being able to see one every day, all day, using invisible sensors, measuring and recording your heart rate, blood pressure, temperature, Glucose, blood serum, sleep patterns, fat, activity levels, mood, brain functions using EKG, and so on. You would have hundreds of thousands of data points for each of those traits. Over the years, you'd gain a very accurate measurement of what your normal is. Science would use your life's log to generate treatments specific to you. And while that data isn't really important on a large scale, it's extremely valid and important to you. Who cares whether a treatment works for anyone else except for you? You're the only one that's going to be taking it. In 1999, computer scientist David Jellinger created the concept of a live stream with one of his graduate students, Eric Freeman. They described the live stream architecture as a time ordered stream of documents that functions as a diary for your electronic life. Every document you create, and every document other people send you, is stored in your life stream. The tail of your stream contains documents from the past, starting with your electric birth certificate. Moving away from the tail and towards the present, your stream contains more recent documents. Pictures, correspondence, bills, movies, voicemail, software. Moving beyond the present into the future, the stream contains documents you will need. Reminders, calendar items, to-do lists, etc. The advantage of a stream as an organizational metaphor, is the question where did I put that piece of information? Always has exactly one answer. It's in my stream. The idea of a timeline, a chronology, uh, a scrapbook is so much older and so much more organic and ingrained in human culture and history than the idea of a file hierarchy. When I acquire a new memory of, let's say, talking on the phone on a sunny afternoon outside of uh, Panera Bread, I don't have to give this memory a name or stuff it in a dictionary I can use anything in the memory as a retrieval key I shouldn't have to name electronic documents either or put them in directories I can shuffle other streams into mine to the extent that I have permission to use other people's streams my own personal stream my electronic life story can have other streams shuffled into it streams belonging to groups organizations I'm part of and eventually I'll have, for example, a newspaper or magazine streams shuffled into my own stream also so that I can get news feeds and other information that I find viable and valuable. The passive type of tracking is sometimes called life logging. And the idea is to simply mechanically, automatically, mindlessly, and completely track everything all the time. Record everything that's recordable without prejudice for all of your life. Life logging is possible now only because computation and storage and sensors have become so cheap that we can waste them without little cost, without any cost. In order to have an embrace of the expanded version of life logging, we need to make sure that it's going to offer these four categories of benefits. First, a constant 24-7, 365 monitoring of vital body measurements. Imagine how much public health is going to change if we continuously monitor blood glucose in real time. Imagine how your behavior would change if you could, in near real time, detect the presence or absence of biochemicals or toxins in your blood picked up from the environment. This data could serve both as a warning system but also as a personal base upon which to diagnose illness and prescribe medicines. Second, an interactive, extended memory of the people you meet, conversations you had, the places you visit, and events that you participated in. The memory would be searchable, retrievable, and shareable. Number three, a complete passive archive of everything that you have ever produced, wrote, or said. Deep comparative analysis of your activities could assist your productivity and creativity. And finally, a way of organizing, shaping, and reading your own life. To the degree this life log is shared, This archive of information could be leveraged to help others work and to amplify social interactions. In the health realm, shared medical logs could rapidly advance medical discoveries. And for the skeptics out there, there are two big challenges that could prevent or doom life logging to a small minority. First, current social pressures cast self-tracking as the geekiest thing you could possibly do. Think about owners of the Google Glass. They quickly put them away because they didn't like how they looked and they felt uncomfortable recording among their friends. As Gary Wolf said, recording in a diary is considered admirable. Recording in a spreadsheet is considered creepy. But with enough adoption, we'll find ways to make it socially acceptable. Think of the cell phone. Originally, they had ringers that were unpleasant to listen to and very obnoxious and distracting from daily life but once the mass adoption of cell phones happened people created silent mode they started texting and they the issue behind it, ringers in public became less of a problem the second issue how can life logging work when each person will generate petabytes if not exabytes of data every single year well the same ai at google that can already describe what uh, what's going on in a random photo could digest the images from my narrative so that I can simply ask my live stream in plain English to find me a guy who is wearing a pirate hat at a party I attended a couple of years ago. And there it is. And his stream would be linked to mine. Or at least I could use it to determine the kinds of rooms that tend to raise my heart rates. What was the the color temperature? The height of the ceiling? Although it seems like wizardry now, this is going to be considered very mechanical request in a decade. Not very different from asking Google to find something, which would have been magical 20 years ago. In the coming decade, nearly every object that is manufactured will contain a small sliver of silicon that's connected to the internet. It's going to become feasible to track how each thing is used with great precision. To look at the sensors that are tracking ordinary days, we've rounded up all of the devices and systems in the U.S. that routinely track us and each example has been sourced officially or from a major publication. 1. Car Movements Every car since 2006 contains a chip that records your speed, braking, turns, mileage, accidents, whenever you start your car. Highway Traffic Camera on poles and sensors buried in highways record the location of cars by license plates and fast-tracking badges. 70 million plates are recorded each month ride sharing taxis uber lyft and other decentralized rides record your trips long distance travel your travel itinerary for air flights and trains is recorded drone surveillance along u.s borders predator drones monitor and record outdoor activities postal mail the exterior of every piece of mail you have ever received or sent is scanned and digitized utilities Your power and water usage patterns are kept by the utility companies. Cell phone location and call logs. Where, when, and who you call is stored in the metadata of your calls, and it's stored for months. Some phone carriers routinely store the contents of calls and messages for days to years. Civic cameras. Cameras record your activities 24-7 in most city downtowns across the United States. Commercial and private spaces. Today, 68% of public employers, 59% of private employers, 98% of banks, 64% of public schools, and 16% of homeowners live or work under cameras. Smart home. Smart thermostats like the Nest determine your presence and behavior patterns and transmit those to the cloud. Smart electrical outlets like Belkin monitor power consumption and usage time shared to the cloud. Home surveillance, installed video cameras document your activity inside and outside the home stored on cloud servers. Interactive devices, your voice commands and messages from phones which include Siri, Now, Cortana, Google Assistant, consoles such as the Kinect, smart TVs, and ambient microphones such as Amazon Echo are recorded and processed on the cloud. Grocery loyalty cards. Supermarkets track what items you purchase and when you purchase them. E-retailers. Retailers Retailers like Amazon track not only what you purchase, but what you look at and even what you're thinking about buying. The IRS tracks your financial situation all of your life. E-wallets and e-banks. Aggregators like Mint track your entire financial situation from loans, mortgages, and investments. Wallets like Square and PayPal track all purchases. Web activities. Web advertising cookies track your movements across the web. More than 80% of the top 1,000 sites employ web cookies that follow you wherever you go on the web. Through agreements and ad networks, even sites you didn't visit can get information about your viewing history. Social media. Can identify family members, friends, and friends of friends. Can identify and track your former employers and your current workmates and how you spend your free time. Search browsers. By default, Google saves every question you've ever asked forever. Streaming services. What movies, Netflix, what music, Spotify, video, YouTube, all of that, whatever media you consume and when, and what you rate them. This includes cable companies, your watching history is recorded. Book reading. Public libraries record your borrowings for about a month. Amazon records book purchases forever. Kindle monitors your reading patterns on ebooks, where you are in the book, how long you take to read each page, and where you stop. And lastly, fitness trackers. Your physical activity, time of day, sometimes location, are tracked all 24 hours, including when you sleep and when you are awake each day. We tend to be uncomfortable being tracked today because we don't know much about who's watching us. We don't know what they know we have no say in how the information is used. They're not accountable to correct it. They're filming us, but we can't film them. And the benefits for being watched are murky and concealed. The relationship is unbalanced and asymmetrical. Ubiquitous surveillance is inevitable. Since we can't stop the system from tracking, we can only make the relationship more symmetrical. It's a way of civilizing covalence. In a covalent society, a sense of entitlement can emerge. Every person has a human right to access, and a right to benefit from, the data about themselves. There is a one-to-one correspondence between personalization and transparency. Greater personalization requires greater transparency. Absolute personalization, which would be defined as vanity, requires absolute transparency, which would be defined as no privacy. If today's social media has taught us anything about ourselves as a species, it is that the human impulse to share overwhelms the human impulse for privacy. Vanity trumps privacy every time. If anonymity is present in any significant quantity in this ubiquitous surveillance world, it's going to poison the system. While anonymity can be used to protect heroes, it's far more commonly used as a way to escape responsibility. That's why the most brutal harassment on Twitter, Yik Yak, Reddit, and other sites is delivered anonymously. A lack of responsibility unleashes the worst in us. Everything else in the realm of data is headed to infinity, or at least astronomical quantities. Terabytes were once unimaginably enormous, yet today, I've got a terabyte sitting on my desk. The next level up is petabytes. Petabytes are the new normal for companies. Exabytes are the current planetary scale. We'll probably reach Zeta in a few years. Yoda is probably the last scientific term for which we have an official measure of magnitude. Bigger than Yoda is blank. Until now, any more than a Yoda was a fantasy not deserving an official name. But we'll be flinging around Yoda in two decades or so. For anything beyond Yoda, Kevin Kelly proposes that we use the single term zillion, a flexible notation to cover any and all new magnitudes at this scale. Large quantities of something can transform the nature of those somethings. Large quantities of something can transform the nature of those somethings. If there is enough of something, it's possible for it to have properties not exhibited at all in a small isolated example. There is no case in our experience where a difference of a factor of a trillion doesn't make a qualitative, as opposed to merely a quantitative difference. A trillion is essentially the difference in weight from a dust mite, too small to see and too light to feel, and an elephant. It's the difference between $50 and a year's economic output for the entire human race. It's the difference between the thickness of a business card and the distance from here to the moon. Call this difference zillionics. A zillion neurons gives you the smartness a million won't. A zillion data points will give you insight that a mere hundred thousand don't. A zillion chips connected to the internet create a pulsing, vibrating unity that 10 million chips can't. Artificial intelligence, robots, and virtual realities all require mastery of zillionics. But the skills needed to manage zillionics are daunting. The usual tools for managing big data don't work very well in this territory. A statistical prediction technique, such as the maximum likelihood estimation otherwise known as MLE breaks down because of the realm of zillionics the maximum likelihood estimate becomes improbable navigating zillions of bits in real time will require entirely new fields of mathematics completely new categories of software algorithms and radically innovative hardware there are wide-open opportunities in this field right for the taking over the next 30 years The great work will be in parsing all the information that we track and create, all the information of business, education, entertainment, science, sports, and social relations into their most primeval elements. We are on our way to manufacturing 54 billion sensors every year by 2020, spread around the globe, embedded in our cars, draped over our bodies, and watching us at home and on public streets. This web of sensors is going to generate another 300 zillion bytes of data in the next decade. Each of those bits will be turned into generate twice as many metabits, tracked, parsed, and cognified by utilitarian AIs. The vast ocean of information atoms can be molded into hundreds of new forms, novel products, and innovative services. We are going to be astounded at what is possible by a new level of tracking ourselves. Thanks for joining me for tracking today. Come back in for tomorrow, Questioning.